Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. In this episode, I'm chatting with Monica McEwen, Managing Director for Government and Public Services Strategy and Analytics at Deloitte. Prior to joining Deloitte, Monica spent the last of her career working for software companies such as ThoughtSpot, Click, Cognos, and supporting government agencies. In this episode, we chat about use cases in government for AI and analytics, how to make a career change in the pandemic, and how to find mentors and sponsors. Hey, Monica, thanks for coming on the Data Bytes podcast. It's great to be chatting with you again. Yeah, so great to be chatting with you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat today. I know we're talking in a little bit different format right now because when we met, we actually met in person. I believe it was at the ThoughtSpot conference in 2019. I know. That seems like just yesterday and at the same time, many moons ago. Um, But it's great to see you again. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking how much our world has changed since then and how little we knew of what was to come at that time. I know. I know. It's kind of remarkable. So talking about how our world's changed, I'd love to know what a typical day now looks like in your life. What do you do? Are you in-person meeting, (laughs) Zoom meetings? What's a day look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, um, I've always tried to be active every day, but when the pandemic hit, I got into like a pretty rigid routine because it just helped me keep my sanity. Um, and I started doing morning meditation, even if it's just for like two or three minutes, but it's now how I start my day and it's become a really, really nice routine. Um, and then I do my workout and then the kids hustle of getting everybody to school and then get into a kind of a full day engagement with colleagues and client meetings, um, and discussions around data and innovation and emerging technology and, you know, solving big data problems. And I'm doing a little bit of hybrid right now. So I'm in person meetings, which is great. And just the amount of energy that you get from seeing people in person in a 3d format has been wonderful, um, as well as well as zoom. Um, and during the pandemic, I actually switched jobs. So I'm now at Deloitte, uh, in their analytics practice, supporting our government clients. So switching jobs in the pandemic, I think you're the first guest I've talked to who has done that. Any tips for people? Like, was it difficult doing it in like a virtual format and when the world was chaos? Like, do you have any tips for people? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you just kind of have to lean into stuff, right? And I had a benefit of having worked with Deloitte for many years. So I at least had some friendly faces and people that I knew and I could call them and say, hey, can you introduce me to somebody else? Um, I did a lot of getting to know people via Zoom, which is a little bit less uh, natural than meeting them in person, you know, setting up virtual coffee chats or something about that that's just not quite as engaging as um, actually seeing someone in person and truly sharing a cup of coffee. Um, but, you know, I think the the networking and just getting to know people and trying to set up even 15 minutes so that you can introduce yourself and share a little bit about what you're doing and what your role is and um, how you can help people, I think is the best way to start. And the more people you talk to, the more kind of engaged you, you get in activities, which was helpful. Yeah. So we know that like networking is really key in your career, but do you think it's even more essential in like a remote world to like actually get your face in a way out there and, and be as much of a live interaction with people as possible? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think um, we've become so conditioned to running from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting that we've lost a little bit of that personal touch of just stopping to say like, hey, how are you doing? You know, and like really making a 
a personal connection. So I try and do that as much as possible just to really like get to know people a little bit on a more personal level, because it's so hard to do when you're just running from meeting to meeting. Um, but I think it's important as we like, especially as we start thinking about how we get back into this hybrid environment, we start seeing people in person to make sure that we're, when we are meeting with people, um, we're making a point of taking that time to, to truly engage at a more, um, nat- in a more natural way, but at a more personal level. Um, so we don't kind of continue on this Zoom fatigue of just running from meeting to meeting and not taking the time to just have that human interaction, which I think is really an import- a very important part of business. Yes, something I think that often gets overrated in the soft skills, which is one of the best skills to have is that human interaction skill. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So you have had an amazing career and still have an amazing career. Um, A lot of work in the public sector through a vice president at ThoughtSpot. You also now are a managing director at Deloitte and were a vice president at OmniSci, sit on multiple boards. What have been some of the key lessons you've learned along the way in your career? Oh my gosh, there's so many, um, as I'm sure most people have. And I think I've learned more from my mistakes and my failures than I have from my success, which is often the case. Um, But, you know, I'll say like, when I started my career, I didn't have much knowledge of where I was going. Like I didn't have my sights set on, I want to go do this. Um, I've always just kind of trusted my instincts along the way. And I've sort of had this like North Star of saying, hey, if I'm challenged every day, if I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing, if I'm working with people I like, then I'm in the right place. And if I stop feeling like I'm challenged and I feel like I'm getting a little bit stale, it's kind of time for me to go and try something new. And I feel like I've had, um, I've been at companies for a long time for folks sort of in my career. Um, I spent 10 years at a company called Cognos early in my career. I was in with a company, uh, Click, for seven years. But I had multiple roles within those organizations. And one of the things that I realized really early was um, I had to advocate for myself. And so when I was fairly young, I um, told my manager at the time that I really wanted to lead people. It was something that I'd done in college and some leadership roles, and I wanted to be able to do that in my career. And he gave me the opportunity to do that, but it was only because I verbalized and vocalized what it was that I wanted to do. And so I was given that opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I, I think there's um, another lesson, which is just like hard work pays off. I mean, when I started my career, I literally had no idea what the job was. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And I just worked harder than everybody. And I proved that I, you know, could get the job done, that I could perform well, and that I could perform above my peers. And that then led to other opportunities. And so um, I don't know that there's one lesson along the way, but sort of a culmination of everything that you start to kind of collect, but really being able to advocate for yourself and what you want to do is really important to give you those next opportunities. Yes, I love that you were so vocal about where you wanted to go early on in your career because I definitely see, you know, a lot of people, but especially women, particularly not saying like, hey, I want to be a leader. Like, that's my end goal. Like, show me the path. And it's amazing how many times people are willing to support that and show you the pathway. But a lot of times we don't even know to even speak up about that. So you must have really known your values. And I think that shows to just your vocalization of it as well. Yeah. And I think it goes back to like, again, if I was challenged and felt energized by what I was doing, I knew I was in the right place. And so I sort of thought about like, what are the things that I really feel energized by? And one of them was 
being able to mentor and lead people. And so something that I was like, you know, I, I want to find a role that will allow me to do that. I didn't know what the job was. I didn't know, you know, where it would eventually take me. But um, as a result, I, I vocalized it and it took a little bit of time to get there, but I had a great mentor who supported me and, and helped me. So today, a lot of your work is focused in the public sector and working with governments. What are the types of problems you see governments facing today when looking to solve problems with analytics? Oh, gosh. So, I mean, the government space, I've spent my whole career in government, um, primarily because I just, I, I kind of stumbled into it, to be honest, but I just found such a passion because there's so many awesome opportunities to use data in the government space. Um, and there's so many different use cases. Uh, if you look at, you know, the Department of Defense, they use data to ensure that they have um, that their folks have the proper training and that there's the readiness of the forces. If you look at the Department of Agriculture, they're using data to ensure, you know, the safety of our food supply. If you're looking at the Veterans Affairs, they're using data to ensure better clinical outcomes for our veterans. Uh, if you look at FEMA, they're using data to respond to disasters, um, you know, hurricanes and whatnot. And so there's all these like awesome use cases. Um across the government space, which keeps it really interesting because you have the opportunity to work with multiple mission areas and you can kind of figure out where where your passion is. Like, is it around better clinical outcomes and working with the CDC and NIH, or is it more with the Department of Defense to ensure better troop readiness? Um, so you can kind of like choose your own path, but there's just such a diversity of use cases and a lot of challenges that come with um, the government uh, and data. Um, the government, as many people know, have, you know, legacy applications are still running mainframes in many cases. And so trying to get the data out of these systems and put it to use in a meaningful way continues to be a challenge. And so there's no shortage of opportunity to help and to provide guidance in terms of how the government might be able to improve their data delivery and improve using the data to drive mission effectiveness. I appreciate you sharing those use cases because what came to mind was just how many of those use cases really affect people? And if you want to have like a big impact at a massive scale in things that really matter, right? Like agricultural, health, safety, like government seems the place to be to do that. Yes, 100%. And then, I mean, if you think about it, you know, at the state and local level, it's all around providing better citizen services, right? So is it um, helping somebody uh, with child welfare? Is it helping somebody receive better um, access to their Medicaid, Medicaid claims. And so, you know, is it helping someone get a license more easily? I think many of us have been to the DMV and sat in long lines. So, you know, the government's now starting to use data to try and improve citizen services. Um, and so that becomes a huge opportunity as well. And yes, so I think a lot of people kind of find themselves in the government space because they're drawn to that mission impact that you can have. And they're drawn to the ability to, you know, of using data to really improve um, how the government operates and how it provides uh, services to our citizens. One of the things you mentioned was a lot of governments have legacy systems. And do you think this is a hindrance that sometimes blocks people to joining government forces and helping use helping them use AI and analytics? Or do you see this as like a great opportunity to like be a thought leader in this space and help people transform an organization? Yeah, I think it can be a little bit of both depending on your perspective, right? Um, so just this past year, only a couple of months ago, the government finally has a job category for data scientists, 
Um, that's something that took a fair amount of regulation to cu cut through to actually have a, a true data scientist um, category within the workforce for the federal government. And so it's been a hindrance for them, for the government to be able to hire the right people into the right job categories. Um, that said, I think there's so many passionate people in the government that have such a desire to improve the way in which data is used, to improve um, the way in which the, you know, the performance of these applications. And so there's some amazing people that are doing incredible work across the government. And if you come and work with government service, you start to recognize who these people are and these change, change agents that are really making a difference. And so I encourage anyone to get involved in supporting the government, whether it's at a company like Deloitte, that's you know day in and day out providing services for the government, or to actually go into government service yourself. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think the pandemic has really almost like shined a light on on the government in general, and also that the government is very data driven, right? Um, when the uh, when COVID first hit, you know, the CDC was using data on a daily basis to make decisions. In the early days, state and local governments were using data to determine how to distribute PPE based on the spread of the virus. And then it turned into how do we, you know, distribute vaccines. Small business administration was trying to get lo loans out the door, and so I think there was a sort of spotlight put on government entities in a way that the general citizen may not have appreciated previously. Um, and I think it's also um, encouraged government agencies to say, hey, we've got to figure out how to modernize our systems so that hopefully we don't have another pandemic, right? It's a once in a century kind of thing. But we this has been a wake up call to say, we've really got to focus now on this modernization so that we can get to access to data more easily. And so we're seeing agencies start to take advantage of analytics and now start to think about AI in a way that previously I think was a little bit of a back burner. So for those looking to transition into the public sector, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think it's um, find your passion, right? I think there's, again, there's so many different mission areas and there's so many different use cases across the government and the agencies all have a different focus and a different goal. And if you're passionate about what you do every day, it doesn't feel like you're doing work, right? Um, I think you and I have had that conversation before. And so if you can find that subject area that really you're passionate about, you can make a huge difference. Um, the government is looking for smart, motivated people that truly want to improve the lives of um, of others and you know make a huge mission impact. Um, so I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Well, no, real quick, I think like, don't be afraid. I think a lot of people are like, oh, the government's really big and I don't even know where to get started. And there's a lot of great people in the government that are working together collaboratively and that um, want help and, and want to see smart people enter the government. So uh, it's not it's not as big and scary as people think. And that's a great point to transition into our next topic of pivot points in the great resignation, right? I think this whole pandemic has caused a lot of us to go inward and reflect on like who we are, what we're doing with our life, the short time we have in this lifetime to really narrow in and find our passions. And sometimes when we find those, it causes us to have to make a change. And you've had a few pivot points in your life. What recommendations do you have for people when they're facing a career change or changing job, uh, to really make sure they're making the right choice and making that pivot point successful. 
Yeah, it goes back to a couple of things I already said, which is, you know, find that passion, find that thing that gives you energy. So if you think about, you know, what do I do every day and what are the tasks that I do every day or the things that I do every day that really just I don't enjoy? And then what are the things that I do every day that just give me energy and I want to do more of those, right? And then look around and talk to people to figure out, hey, what do you like? What's your day look like? What's your day look like? Um, and see if you can find someone that um, is is uh, or, or like organizes their day in the way that you want to, right? Or that is doing similar activities that you find give you energy as well. Um, and I'll say that doesn't mean you have to go find a new company. That doesn't mean you have to do a complete career pivot. And, you know, instead of doing, you know, government consulting, you go and open a yoga studio. Like it doesn't have to be quite that drastic. I think it's, um, you know, figuring out where can you make like small changes in your life to make sure that you're fueling those passions, whether they're work related or outside. Um, but the grass is not always greener. So always look within your own organization. I think it's really hard to do a career pivot and, completely switch organizations, um, especially if you're a bit younger in your career. So I, as I'm mentoring people, I always encourage them to say, hey, look inside. You already have credibility within this organization. You already know how the organization operates. There's a million different jobs within any organization. And so see if you can find that next thing where you already have some experience and some credibility and then figure out kind of after that, is there something else? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great advice because I haven't ever heard somebody say like, first look internally, right? Because you already have a high amount of trust and it's internally probably where they're going to give you those stretch projects, right? Those opportunities to go outside your bounds, your maybe typical job description and use that to your advantage because you're probably in the safest playground right where you already are. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully you developed a mentor or two that will be your champion. Um, similar to when I stood up and said, Hey, I want to lead people. I didn't know what that job looked like. I didn't know where it would be within the organization, but my mentor helped me figure it out because he was a couple years older and he understood other roles within the organization and everything else. So I think, you know, really try and use your mentors as you're thinking through this and then try and talk to other people that might not be in your immediate sphere, but that are doing something that looks interesting to you or looks like someone you want to be right. Um, and doing that kind of task that you think you want to want to take on. So could we talk about mentorship for a second? Because you've mentioned mentors quite a bit throughout this dialogue and how they played an important role in your life. And one of the questions I get asked a lot is, I know mentors are important, but how do I find a mentor? So can you give people some tips on like how to find a good mentor that fits you? Yeah. And I'd love to just share too, like I get the question a lot of what is a mentor and what are they supposed to do? And I think there is a difference between a mentor and a sponsor. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's a unique distinction. Um, so finding a mentor, I think um, there's there's an inclination to try and go and find someone that looks like you, right? Because it's more comfortable and you're like, okay, I, I relate to them and I know what they do. And so I want them to be my mentor. But I would encourage people to stretch themselves a little bit. Try and find someone that's not in your immediate sphere. And that might be in a different part of the organization or might have a very different role than you do because you'll get a really interesting perspective in terms of other opportunities that exist and in terms of career growth opportunities. And you may not always agree with what your mentor is suggesting, but it just gives you a, a different perspective, right? We talk a lot about the importance of diversity, diversity of thought as you're thinking about what to do next in your career, I think is really key. Um, 
that said, it can be uncomfortable, right? To go to a perfect stranger and say, will you be my, be my mentor? So I always encourage people as well to be very thoughtful about what you want out of a mentor and very specific. So if you're going to ask someone to be their men- your mentor, say, here are some areas that I'm struggling and I'm wondering if you might be able to help. If you don't think you can, is there someone else you could recommend? And that way, if the person doesn't have the bandwidth, doesn't have the time or doesn't think they can help, they can recommend somebody else. So you've given them that out. And so they don't feel pressured into doing it, right? But you've been very explicit in saying, here are the things I'm really struggling with or that I'd like some support on. Um, I think that's going to create a better foundation for a mentor relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's a great suggestion too, because I think it also shows to the person you're approaching as your potential mentor, like you have some thought and self-awareness too, right? About what you need help with. And I know I love that in my mentees is like, okay, you have a base foundation and layer. Now, how do we get you to the next level? Right. And even if you give them an out and they say no, that may introduce you to another person, which expands your network, which is just a positive all around. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and talking to us and mentoring us through the podcast. Stay curious and keep learning and we'll chat here soon. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.